Our gospel lesson this morning comes from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36, which if you were at Bible study on Wednesday night, this ought to sound pretty familiar. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36, which will be found on page 1603 in your pew Bibles. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. And we ask that this morning that you would still all the other voices that are competing for our attention. Not only this morning, but as we go from here. God, that you would help us to note clearly the difference between um, the words of this world and your eternal word. Lord, we ask that you would tune our ears to listen for your word. That you would tune our hearts to sing your grace. We pray you would continue the work that you have begun in each one here this morning, continuing to form us and shape us into the people that you have created us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36, Jesus says, But to you who are listening, (laughs) but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful. Just as your father is merciful. Turning to Romans 12. Romans 12, verses, starting in verse 14 and going on through chapter 13, verse 5. Uh, usually we kind of break this at a chapter division, but I think these hold together more than we normally expect them to. 12, 14, verses 13 through 13, 5. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. 
If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week, we were looking at uh, the life of David. We're actually doing a whole series looking at the life of David. Uh, David as the greatest king in Israel's history, the one that his name keeps coming up again and again and again throughout the New Testament because of what a towering figure he is throughout the Old Testament and especially then how he connects directly to the person of Jesus, both in uh, kind of lineage but as well, in, as well as in kingly promise and that sort of family dynasty that we'll see uh, with Jesus as the king over everything. Um, but at this point in David's story, David's not even a king yet. So where we left off, here's where we've been the last two weeks. First was David being anointed as king, as he was going to be the next king in Israel, even though right now they already had a king, a guy by the name of Saul. But Saul had not been following God's ways, and that was what the king was supposed to do, was lead the people in following God, as well as going out and fighting their battles. He wasn't doing that. And so God said, it's not going to be your family anymore. I'm going to give it to somebody else, somebody who's a man after my own heart. And the next thing we see is David being anointed, not because he looks the part on the outside, because he has the heart on the inside. Going on from there, we looked last week at the famous story of David and Goliath. And we saw it's not just an underdog story. It's the story of David who's actually trusting in God to be who he says he is and to do the things he says he's going to do. And, uh, and so we see David stepping forward and doing what actually was Saul's role here. But Saul wanted none of it. He was the biggest and strongest. He's the one who should have gone out and fought the giant. But no, he doesn't. He offers big rewards and prizes to somebody else. Anybody else will take this up. And of course, David does. He says, what is the problem here? If this is really God fighting, our God fighting against their God, their God is nothing, so our God obviously is going to win. Let's go. (laughs) And he steps out in faith, and that's what we see happen there. That's where we kind of left off last week. So last week, David had defeated Goliath, and he was now kind of being championed as the hero among the people. And we're going to skip quite a bit of uh, the events that happen next, but here's basically what happens, is David goes from the hero to the hunted. 
He's the hero of the people when he uh, defeats Goliath, although, as he would be quick to tell you, it wasn't him that defeated Goliath, but God doing it. Uh, the battle is the Lord's. But he goes from that to then people started singing. Saul has slain his thousands, and David is tens of thousands. And that really grates on Saul, that David would be the hero when he, Saul, is the king. And so we see um, over and over again Saul start trying to get rid of David. And he has all kinds of elaborate plots, and they're fascinating. You should read through there. <laughs> but where we pick this up um, this morning is chapter 24, 1 Samuel chapter 24. Let me just read you the whole thing, and we'll talk about it. It says, After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called to Saul, My lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said I will not lay my hand on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave gave his oath to Saul, then Saul returned home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. There's a lot in there. We're not going to get all of it <laughs> unpacked. But there are a couple things that we do want to point out. And uh, one of them, just real quick, see if we can get this out of the way, 
David, in this scenario, has his enemy right there in front of him. Saul is clearly his enemy. He's the one who's hunting him down, trying to kill him. He has the enemy right there. David doesn't kill him. The reason I point this out as something weird is because the last story we looked at, what we were all excited about David doing is that the enemy was right in front of him, and he killed him. So there he does, and that's the right thing to do. Here he doesn't, and that's the right thing to do. Well, how do you know what's right (laughs) if it keeps changing all the time? Sometimes you kill the guy, sometimes you don't kill the guy. What is going on? We'll get to that later. The other thing I want to point out, though, is uh, in, in the scenario, David has guys talking in his ear. Saul has guys talking in his ear. Saul listens to them. David doesn't. Do you notice that? David says, when he shouts out to Saul, why? Verse 9. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This has been the scenario. David kills Goliath, and ever since then, Saul gets jealous. And so then, while Saul's being jealous, everybody comes to him and is like, David's going to try to become the king. That's what's going on here. Don't you see the way that he's working behind the scenes and he's trying to maneuver himself politically to establish himself as the king and you're going to be out of here and you've got to do something about this. And so I was like, you're right. I should do something about this. I'm the king after all. And so come on, who's with me? Let's go take care of this. Meanwhile, what has David done? Nothing. He's not doing any of those things. Saul's just getting fed all this misinformation by people who are making stuff up and putting it in his head as though it's the truth. Aren't you glad that never happens today? <laughs> it is amazing how common this is. You read this thing from you know, thousands of years ago, and you know, there's some wardrobe changes <laughs> that are different, you know, things like that. But my goodness, the human heart has not changed. We're still doing the same things, even in a completely different part of the world even in very different social situations. But it's the same thing. People start hearing something. They start making things, kind of putting two and two together on their own. And they're like, yeah, jumping to conclusions. I bet that's what the case is. I bet that's the deal. I bet David's trying to become the king. Hey, Saul, here's what you should do. Let me just give you my free advice. We may not have the ear of kings, but are we guilty of being like those guys? Or we start jumping to conclusions ourselves and telling people our free advice of, if I were you, here's what I'd do. Well, Saul, unfortunately, understandably, but unfortunately, listens to these guys and says, you're right. I got to do something. I'm the king. And he goes out and hunts David. Well, David has not done anything to deserve it. David, meanwhile also has people whisper in his ear. And theirs looks a little bit more pious. Here they are, in the cave. Hang on. 
just a second. Listen to this. This is Psalm 57. Psalm 57, for the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy, of David, a Mictum, when he had fled from Saul into the cave. So while David is in hiding from Saul, he knows Saul is out to get him, he's being hunted, he's hidden in this cave, and he actually writes a psalm. He actually writes two psalms, but anyway. Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves, saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. He sends, God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp as swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path. They have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations, for I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, among, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. I don't imagine this as something that David was writing, like with a, a scroll and a pen. He's like, shh, everybody be quiet. I'm, I'm, I'm writing a poem here. <laughs> the way I picture it anyway, is that these are the things he's singing. And he's just kind of coming up with it as he goes and kind of going back over it and over it as he goes along and singing along as he plays. And so the other guys in the cave are hearing this along with him. They're probably learning to sing it along with him. And so here he is in the, in the cave while he's being hunted and he's hiding in this cave and yet as he thinks about, you know, it's kind of like the Psalm 23, as he thinks about what it's like to be a shepherd, he's like, you know what? God is like the best shepherd ever. Let me tell you how it compares. And here it's like he's in a cave and he's like, but you know what? My real refuge, my real hiding place is not the cave. It's God. He's the one who is actually going to keep me safe. He's the one who's going to deliver me. It's not the cave. I can't put my trust in a cave. (laughs) And so here he's singing all these things. I'm going to have my eyes on God. He's going to be the one who saves me. And then, sure enough, in comes Saul. I assume they weren't singing at the time, or Saul might have noticed. But here's the thing. This cave, uh, that area anyway, of En Gedi, it's just the western side of the Dead Sea, we went there a couple of years ago, and you can see it's just cliffs and caves everywhere. Everywhere. Cave after cave after cave after cave after cave after cave after cave. Saul could have picked any cave to go into to leave himself. Could have picked any cave. He just needed privacy, just needed away from the thousands of choices. He goes in the one cave where David is hiding with his men. David has been writing and singing God's praises, how God is going to deliver him, and in walks Saul. These guys are surrounding David. He said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. This is their own interpretation on the situation. But it totally makes sense. Here he is, 
right here. It's, I mean, when you see how many men Saul brought, took 3,000 able young men, David is way outnumbered. But now you've got Saul alone in a cave with David and all his men. Now Saul's way outnumbered. This must be what God is doing. Come on, David. But David won't listen. He sneaks up, cuts a corner off his robe, which then even later he's like, I should not have done that. Even that was crossing the line. Because I should not have done anything to him. And you know his men are like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Clearly, he's the king. You're the next guy in line. He's trying to kill you. He is your clear enemy. Kill him. You're the king. He's out of the way. Problem solved. In fact, this is like solving multiple problems all at once. Why? 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 Won't you do it? We just saw in the last story. David did right by killing the enemy. (laughs) Now here he won't do it. Why won't David listen? A couple things going on here. When he talks to his men, he he rebukes them. He says, the Lord forbid that I should do a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. That was the reason. That was it. I don't know if that's enough. But that's what it is. He says, God anointed him to be the king. And if God has anointed him to be the king, then that means he is God's to deal with, not mine. In the story of David and Goliath, there was a role for David in, uh, in that battle. But between him and Saul, he knows he does not have a role in that battle. That Saul is for God to deal with, without David's help. The men are all like, oh, you could use a little help. I don't think God's getting this quick enough. But no. David says he's God to deal with. This is, by the way, what we read at the end of Romans 12, where it says, uh, leave room for God's wrath, where he says it is mine to avenge. We don't want to wait on God, do we? He works on a different time scale than we do. And so we say, they did something wrong. It's causing me problems, I'm going to deal with it. And sometimes it's ours to deal with. And sometimes it's not. So let me get back to the thing we said at the beginning. of, You know, one of the times he kills the enemy, the other time he doesn't kill the enemy. How do you know what you're supposed to do if it keeps changing all the time? And that's the point. Is that David, as we saw in that psalm he wrote, constantly has his eyes on God. He constantly does. And so he's in communication with God. He knows the word of God. He knows the promises of God. He knows the character of God. And he's constantly trying to walk in step with God. And so, there are times where this is the appropriate action, and there are times where that is not the appropriate action. 
And here's the thing, we don't want that. Because it is way easier to have a one-size-fits-all approach to everything. Every time you find yourself with an enemy, you kill them. Done. Easy. Or, every time you find yourself with an enemy, you don't kill them. Done. Easy. But that doesn't work that way. And so we have to have this living, actual relationship with God. Follow him as he guides us and leads us. Um, The idols weren't like that. The idols were very much one size fits all. But it's because they were like machines. And if we have a machine, we think, well, this is what you do. You have your regularly scheduled maintenance. You do these things at these times, and this is how it works, and that's it. You have this input, that output. But people aren't like that. And so you know that there are things that you can say to people you love, and the same words, with the same tone, the same expression, will be received very differently one time of one day and one time on another day. And that's one of those things that you have to pay attention to <laughs> if you're going to be in a relationship with them. And the same thing with us and with God. is It's not just a, this is what it is, end of story, I go do those things. But the invitation that is constantly given when Jesus is walking around, you remember what he keeps saying to all the disciples? Come. Follow me. Follow me. He doesn't just show up and say, here are some things to do, now go do those things. He says, follow me. Learn from me. See how I do it. Hear what I say. Do those things uh, as, as they come up. There's one other connection here I want to point out between this story and Jesus. And that is one that really only, only comes through if you're looking at the Hebrew behind it. When David says that uh, the reason he's not going to do anything to um, Saul is because Saul is the Lord's anointed, the anointed one in Hebrew is Mashiach, or as we say it in English, Messiah. And I don't know if that's something you've ever picked up on before, but when talking about the Messiah. There's the one Messiah who is Jesus. He is the Lord's anointed. But there had been several other anointed ones along the way and anointed for particular things. And so Saul had been anointed to be the king over Israel at that time. And David then was later anointed to be king over Israel at that time. But Jesus is the anointed one. The one to which all the other anointed ones pointed to. The one who was chosen as the king all kings. Saul pales in comparison. David even pales in comparison. And we'll see that in the weeks to come. But Jesus is the one who not only is the judge. That's what David says, by the way. To Saul. He says, I I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs you've done to me, but my hand will not touch you. I'm going to leave it up to God to judge. And then Jesus comes, and he came first to bear the judgment. He's coming again to bring the judgment. 
This is part of uh, who he is and what he has been anointed to do. So as we look to him, as we follow him, as we walk with him, may we listen closely for his voice in every moment of every day so that as we have interactions with individuals, as we go throughout our daily business, we're constantly reading his word, praying to him, not so that we can say, you know, check it off, I read the Bible, but as a part of that constant communication so that we can then in our everyday lives say, what is it that you are wanting me to do at this moment of this day in this place? And then follow. One word of caution. I definitely made this sound like you should never listen to people. That was a mistake. <laughs> There's definitely uh, you know, Proverbs saying, uh, listen to advice and accept correction. Uh, anyway, and at the end you'll be counted among the wise. Uh, except discipline, that's what it is. So we're definitely supposed to listen to advice of others. But what uh, Saul was unable to do, what David was able to do, is discern is the advice you're getting consistent with who God is and what he's calling you to do? So every time you get advice, you should definitely welcome advice, but always hold that up against is this who God is and what he's calling us to do. And that you can only do if you're actually having that ongoing communication relationship with God. So go and do that. It's just that easy. (laughs) One step at a time. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.